Welcome everyone to All About Windows Phone Insight 143 entitled Spinning Gears for obvious reasons. My name is Steve Litchfield. With me I have Rafe Blanford. Hello everybody. Yes, a lot to get through this week. A new build of the Insider program. We're going to be telling you some about that, although as uh, Steve intimated there, it's installing as we speak. But there's a couple of other things we want to talk about following up from the topics in last week's podcast, as well as new hardware from Microsoft, perhaps not of the most exciting variety, but actually one of the most useful gadgets I have. And of course, the usual discussion and conversation that Steve and I get up to. So buckle up and enjoy the next 40 minutes or so of Windows Phone related chat. Yes, indeed. We're recording this on Tuesday, the 16th of June. Notable because it's uh, having been starved of updates of Windows 10 Mobile, <laughs> the next generation, for about a month now, if not more than that. We finally have a new build. Now, there are a few caveats. They managed to mess up the with the in-place upgrades so that, see the notes in the top story we, we posted on the site, but basically you have to go back down using the recovery tool to 8.1 and then do about three or four interim updates, including update two. And finally, you get the new build of Windows 10 Mobile, and you'll have to rebuild your data, rebuild your applications, resync your data, all that good stuff. But then anybody, Rafe, who's signed up for the Insiders program is probably used to all that malarkey. Indeed. And basically, if you've signed up for the uh, Insiders program, you're asking for it. We have uh, said several times that it's <laughs> alpha. And so this is just an example of that kind of thing. It's why they uh, do programs like this. And I suspect, you know, it might have been possible to get around it, but frankly, it was easier just to start from scratch. And actually, as uh, Steve says, his uh, painted technique is always to reset his device after big updates anyway. So you're really uh, not going to lose anything if you're following the advice of the learned Steve Litchfield. Yeah, there are enough glitches in these builds anyway without introducing extra builds caused by stuff from previous builds hanging around. So I think I'd like to start with the clean slate. And these days, to be honest, it really isn't a big deal. As long as you're not trying to live with it as a day-to-day device with 100 applications, as long as you're basically using it as a test device with maybe your main data, maybe a couple of favorite apps, then you'll be absolutely fine. A few a quick summary of some of the main improvements. Um, Obviously, it's faster and more responsive, they claim. I, they do say in, in the notes that it's not quite as fast as they like it yet, so don't expect full um, release speed. And I, I would place a heavy bet that there's lots of debug code in there still. You now get a search bar above the apps listing, which is kind of, kind of nice. Um, everything's more swipe-friendly. There are more optimized fonts. The uh, live tiles, there's now more of them are transparent and work better with the new system. Cortana has been overhauled because that was just white themed for the previous builds of Windows 10 Mobile. That is now fully dark themed if you want it to be. So that's good as well, especially on the AMOLED screen phones that I'm using. Um, more and more Windows Phone applications are now compatible with the new Windows 10 store, which is good because previously you had to have two different store apps. And in fact, there are still two store apps in the new build. Um, but basically, you can get away with just using the modern one. Um, improvements to the browser, you can now get split screen in landscape mode on, on screens with five inches and more in, in compatible applications. And indeed, what this is exciting, Ray, for one-handed optimization, which is brand new for this build, a bit like in, on the iPhone, you may remember, where you can kind of uh, bring down the whole screen, the whole viewport by about an inch or so to be able to tap easily with your thumb on something that was at the top of the screen is now two-thirds the way down the screen, as it were, and then you can restore it again afterwards. So 
people might question why this is actually necessary. I, I would argue that even though the controls you may need are actually at the bottom of the screen still, and you shouldn't actually need to bring the screen down, there will be content, perhaps a, a photo thumbnail or a textual item you want to tap on at the top, and your mobile using it one-handed. So why not? Why not have an iPhone clone one-handed optimization? And it's probably worth saying that uh, we're expecting to see greater use of the old burger menu. That's the kind of three lines <laughs> that you typically see top left and top right. And that will be in some of the Microsoft applications. It will be in some of the third-party applications. So, of course, it's going to be ideal for that. I mean, Steve, you did talk about this on an earlier podcast and saying that actually that is typically going to be secondary navigation options that you won't use very much. But then again, this kind of one-handed optimization is not something you'd expect to be using, you know, every five minutes. It's going to be maybe that odd yeah. instance. Uh, and, and for that, I think it's good, don't you? Oh, absolutely. And as you say, I, I don't, wouldn't expect to use it more than I don't know, a couple of times a week, which means it it's absolutely needs to be there, but you shouldn't really rely on it. You don't need to rely on it. There's, most people, let's face it, have got five-inch screens or below. Very few people have actually got 640XLs and 1520s and 1320s and so forth. So they won't actually even need to know it's there. At the moment, what happens, Rafe, if you long press the start um, key, said trying it in real time on <laughs> Windows Phone 8.1? I'm trying it now, and... Absolutely nothing happens. Okay, so they're using a gesture which you don't use. That's good. Yeah, and I, I think what's interesting about this is, and I'd also uh, lump the split screen into uh, that, I should say, is slightly misleading. It's actually kind of the dual pane view that we see on yes, some yes. of the uh, yeah. applications now. So don't think of it in terms of two apps running side <laughs> <No>. by side. <laughs> um, but it's great to see this starting to come into the bill because what this means is they're starting to optimize for the different size screen devices. And we've said before, these larger screen devices becoming more and more prevalent. They make five inches and above now makes up something like 30 to 40% of the installed smartphone base and actually a very significant portion of sales as well. Um, but also, of course, there's going to be seven-inch tablets running this kind of Windows software as well. And so seeing support for those higher screen uh, sizes is a really good thing. And we're also knowing in Windows 10, we're going to see support for greater screen resolutions. That just says to me that the build is moving a bit further along. And it's great to see you know those kind of updates, as well as some of the visual refreshes going on. I think there's still a lot of work to do, and the performance is obviously still something that's being worked on. But when you see you know the more transparent live tiles and little bits and pieces like that it it is a big change from when we were still having you know big important apps missing altogether and uh, it's probably worth saying that this uh, installing this update will take a bit more effort because of the uh, what you referred to earlier kind of the need to go back to windows phone 8.1 effectively and it's also worth saying that there's actually some notes you should read in the microsoft blog post about this um, saying that there's a, effectively a, a screen that, where everything appears blank and actually it's because the uh, kind of standard post-upgrade migration status screen is missing. But I, I do just have to say I rather like the way uh, that Microsoft advised you not to mess with um, locking or unlocking your phone or doing things or, you know, obviously turning it off altogether because you'll wind up with a phone in a funky state. So that's a great use of the word funky, especially on a official company blog. And uh, there's also some more details on, on the updates there. I guess the uh, phone and camera improvements uh, are important, especially on some of the sort of mid-tier devices. As we've said before, don't expect this to be fully optimised on all the hardware quite yet. That's going to have to wait for some of the manufacturer updates. But yeah, it's quite a, quite a lot to like on this inside uh, update um i've been using it sort of as more than just a test device i'm kind of trying to use it as a second device on the previous build and honestly i found it a bit difficult so it's going to be really interesting to see whether this update just moved that on a little bit more we did suggest steve that it was going to be 
almost beat equality this time round. I think that may still be stretching it a little bit, but certainly it's nice to see a step-by-step improvement in the Insider Programme builds. Yeah, I think I'd call it alpha. Yeah, <laughs> this will amuse you, and if you're drinking a cup of coffee listening to this, then um, finish your gulp before I announce this next bit. I've just, my 930 has just finished the Windows 10 10136 build, and it's booted without a, a lengthy black screen, which is good. Uh, unfortunately, Rafe, there was a little message that popped up immediately after the phone, uh, you know, kind of came back to life, and it was, welcome to Lumia Cyan. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm not sure that's supposed to have been there. Yeah, the vagaries of software updates and being, a, 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 in this case, an alpha bit tester. But it's all good fun. And I'm sure, I'm sure most people listening to this have probably got a Windows phone, which they're using as a sacrificial test device. I can't imagine many enthusiasts listening to the All About Windows Phone Insight podcast have only got the one Windows phone. Um, and the photos and cam- camera is interesting. And they do say in the notes that the uh, camera app that will form part of Windows 10 Mobile um, is actually based on Lumia Camera, which we kind of knew. And they've basically taken things like the rich capture mode and a lot of the more advanced uh, algorithms and basically baked them into the Windows 10 mobile camera app. But they do say, uh, for this build at least, that if you actually want to make the most of the uh, hardware in the 640, 640XL, 930 icon, 1520, basically using the, the high-resolution sensors, using the oversampling and getting their best rich capture just for this build and until they really sort all the all the bits and pieces out, you should still install the separate Lumia camera beta, which does still exist in the store because that does all the extra, uses the extra hardware more reliably and more consistently. But I would expect, Rafe, that when this rolls out in its entirety, that whichever camera app comes in Windows 10 Mobile will be optimized for all the different hardware out there. Uh, that's absolutely right. I mean, interestingly, in that blog post, they say that the Lumia camera beta app is the same as the Windows 10 camera app, and presumably that'll be the case going forward. But it has additional features that will, say, put it light up on Lumia hardware. It's exactly really what uh, Microsoft has done in the past when talking about special features for Lumia devices or what Nokia did in terms of extra things would appear in the settings uh, application, for example, turning on you know things like uh, the always on screen and other kind of hardware-specific features. So, you know, that's going to continue. It'll be interesting to see quite how that works with other manufacturers, whether there'll be one app that sort of lights up different features depending on what hardware you're on. I suspect that's going to be more of a special thing for the the Lumia devices, but it's very much business as usual there. And as you say, um, if you are using one of those higher-end devices, it's well worth uh, getting the Lumia camera video in order to get that kind of the best out of the camera as as you say i suspect most people aren't using this as their main device if you are let us know because we can admire your commitment to the cause yeah i'm just playing with it now this 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 podcast could go completely off the rails i'm busy playing with windows 10 mobile while we record <laughs> oh it's quite funky ray if you're going to enjoy this so i uh, perhaps you could put it on one of your devices later this evening yeah i'm going to try and get it running on the lumia 930 cause that's what i'm currently using as my kind of test device i wanted to use one of the higher end devices with the snapdragon 800 in the hope that the uh, performance would be a bit better and to be fair it's it's got a lot better than it it was but as you say there's probably a lot of debugging code and kind of restrictions in there um, i may also give it a go on one of the low end devices just to see what that's like as well because of course it's the two opposite end of the windows phone device spectrum yeah absolutely um now just a few minor points um microsoft has released and this is something which is quite quite common really we've seen portable chargers from all sorts of third parties on the site i've reviewed quite a few of them that anchor is a good name obanker is another Inertech is another um all good good third-party accessory manufacturers but microsoft has now stepped in with its own range of portable dual chargers right maybe you can bring this story up a 5200 milliamp hour 9000 milliamp hour and 12000 milliamp hour all of which 
in basically in the same style. It's good to see first-party Microsoft hardware, Rafe, but people should know, as I've noted in most of these stories, that the numbers quoted are at the internal voltage of 3.7 volts. If you're actually trying to convert that to what you can get out of them, you've got to divide by, uh, by 1.2, 1.3 basically, bring it down to the voltage, uh, um, bring it down to the power you can deliver at 5 volts, which is the voltage you want to output and to charge your phone, which means you're looking at about a 3,600 a six and a half thousand and about a nine and a half thousand milliamp hour sort of charges. Yeah, that's right. I mean, it's kind of misleading. I'm a bit surprised they didn't quote the original sizes, but I guess if everyone else on the market is doing which typically <laughs> is the case, you kind of have to have a, a like with like comparison. As you say, I mean, the benefit of buying these Microsoft branded ones is I guess you're getting a bit more quality guarantee and there's also a guarantee associated with them. The uh, third-party ones can be a bit hit and miss, although uh, Steve outlined some of his uh, favourite brands there. Anchor is another one that um, I regularly bought from and can recommend. And also if you look at some of the UK-based suppliers that have a good name, ProPort, have had a long history in this space. Um, I mean, it's interesting, Nokia had a lot of these charges and they'd be my preferred ones over the years and they're sort of various colors and actually you can see the kind of family resemblance if you like with these latest ones and i've actually found they typically also last longer in terms of the number of times you can recharge and then charge up a phone with them all batteries have that kind of life cycle or a length of time they'll stay at peak performance and i've just found that these kind of first party ones tend to last a bit longer and be a bit more hard wearing both in terms of the kind of the build of them but actually most importantly the battery performance over time so although there is a significant cost premium for buying these generally that it's well worthwhile and they quite often have these kind of extra features i mean in the case these cases they've got the same light up leds um, which show you the charge level but i think the most important feature for me is probably the ability to daisy chain them and that's be able to uh, charge your phone at the same time you're charging this the, the battery and that's something that not all of these uh, devices support so that's something that's well worth checking out when you're looking at specifications or doing uh, a quick comparison uh, i think the only other thing I'd point out is uh, these ones, as far as I know, don't support Quick Charge 2.0, which some of the third-party ones do. And I think that's uh, probably a safe bet for something that will appear on the new kind of uh, hardware family that we're expecting to be announced with the Windows 10 uh, mobile devices, you know, be that the Lumia 940 or whatever it ends up being called. That technology is actually from Qualcomm, and you have Quick Charge 1.0 in the current device, and it allows the battery to be charged up more quickly by basically doing some intelligent communication. And it's in things like the Samsung S6. It's also in some of the HTC device and some of the Sony devices. And Quick Charge 2.0 kind of steps that on a bit, and you need intelligence in both the phone and actually your charger. And it just, you know, obviously there's a bigger power throughput, and it's able to charge up that much more quickly. And these, these particular portable battery chargers don't support it i know there are one or two on the market that do but again it's a bit hit and miss because sometimes you buy those third-party ones and you miss out on the build quality have you uh, had a chance to look at any of those uh, third-party ones that have kind of some of these more advanced features steve no nothing i've uh, reviewed so far has has claimed to be quick charge compatible i do wonder actually whether if something does come that's quick charge compatible and that can charge compatible phones whether the charger itself w would have quick charge into its own input because one of the big downsides of these these chargers once you get up to 13,000 16,000 milliamp hours you're basically talking about ch charging it overnight to top it up again to fill it up from scratch and if those were quick charge compatible then you could quite literally plug those into a quick charge charger and you'd be able to refill your 
power bank in two or three hours and that might be much more useful and i was going to say that's exactly the thing to look out for so there's a company called alki which uh, they're available from amazon that's a-u-k-e-y which has kind of got mixed reviews some of them are very good and there's one or two people have had quality control issues but that has the ability to do uh, fast charging uh, for quick output as far as i'm aware it's not in the input but as you say actually it's on the higher capacity thing where actually the uh, ch- quick charge becomes really important so that's why you typically see it in some of the high-end phones that have the extra large battery capacities but really for these things which typically have three or four times the capacity of uh, you know a typical smartphone especially the the top end one it, it does become very useful and actually we've seen the same thing kind of happening in the qi wireless charging world where actually it can be a bit slow to charge on wireless charging compared to these quick charge it's been fixed in the next version of the specification actually in the future we're going to see the ability to recharge your phone via wireless charging much more quickly than you can now and they'll also uh, kind of you won't have to be directly touching the charging plate there's going to be some more flexibility that becomes important in something like the in-car environment where you can just stick your phone in the gap between you know the two seats in the front of the car in, or some kind of well in the car and get it charged that way and of course in in a car you've actually got access to plenty of power so uh it's not really so much for these portable charging solutions but it's actually an interesting space isn't it steve because you know charging is actually a big deal when you think about um, how you're using your phone and the habits that you get into and i know i'm a big proponent of wireless charging steve's had a bit of a mixed uh, story with some of his uh, wireless charging accessories but the whole thing around battery capacity, this is all really just a, a problem that still smartphone batteries or smartphones tend to last about a day, sometimes two days if you're lucky. But you, know, you can make some intelligent choices around making that work for you. And Steve, you always used to be an advocate of replaceable batteries. And they've come around a bit now, I think. And you, know, you, you I know, regularly carry around one of these uh, USB portable chargers in order to give you that extra capacity push when you need it. Yeah, absolutely, because yeah, I've, I've got no choice, of course, for some of these devices, although I do also a proponent of, for example, popping on the, the clip-on wireless charging cases where possible, and quite a few of the Nokia straight Microsoft devices do that now with the, the little gold contacts in the back. So, for example, my 1020 basically lives in the Qi wireless charging case. The 1520 and 930 already have wireless charging built in, although I do know I took my 930 apart again last week, and I wrote that up on the site, basically bending the spring contacts up so that the charging works more reliably. Do have a look at the article because I think quite a few 930 owners are hitting this problem where the springs basically aren't strong enough and they need a bit of manual help every now and then. Um, so basically I'm trying to convert most devices I use day to day to work with wireless charging on some of my Android devices. So actually you can actually get aftermarket Qi coil, coils that you kind of pop, open the back, pop it on top of the battery, pop the back back on and they, they kind of mate up with contacts. Uh, and on that very subject, uh, this is kind of a, off a tangent, Rafe, but I noticed the 640XL, people have been reporting quite rightly that there are um, possible wireless charging contacts actually on the back. If you take the, the rear cover off, there they are lined up next to the battery. Now, I've, I have, um, as the Americans say, reached out to Microsoft and said, look, what's going on here? When are you going to release a Qi wireless charging back cover for the 640XL? And they said, we're not. They say, I said, well, it's got the capability. They, no, it hasn't. They say, so they, they're sticking to the line that it hasn't got Qi Wallace charging capability, never mind the fact that the service manual shows the contacts leading and actually wires leading to the, the battery charging circuit. So I don't know. At some point, Microsoft will, will doubtless get enough demand and they'll, they'll release something. I would expect a third party Qi Wireless charging cover or flip cover for the 640L, especially for the enterprise market. I think that might be a bit of a big seller. Of course, we'll get one of those in because I'd really like to have that on my 640XL. 
I, I could put on my tinfoil hat and have the conspiracy theory that actually maybe something didn't quite work with the wireless charging on the 640XL and it's been removed despite making it into the, the service manual. But I think I prefer the more simple explanation that they've thought about it and just haven't got round to doing it yet um, because, as you say, it is fairly self-evident if you go and have a closer look that it's there. It may be that it doesn't work uh, 100% reliably, so they've chosen not to go for it. Um, but it, to me, it seems such a no-brainer to have this kind of thing. And I carried around a 925 with a wireless charging kind of cover or case for it for a long time. And so I absolutely would now choose a phone that has it integrated over one that didn't. And especially now the technology is going on to be kind of agnostic of the charging solution. There are a couple of standards out there for wireless charging, but the latest cars are actually able to support both. And that's obviously a, a big step forward. I mean, it, it's a bit obsessive talking about charging and battery power all the time, but of course it is <laughs> one of the, the fundamental things about getting it working is you, know, you need power and there, no one's really solved the battery problem yet. You know, The densities have increased over the last few years and actually they have much longer lifetimes now. They've got more charge cycles you can put them through but it is probably still the one bit of uh, hardware that frustrates me more than anything else because the screens are good enough the cameras are great you know the processor and the memory is all right up there as well but it really does feel like battery life is still a significant limitation in that i have to think or remember to recharge my phone pretty much every night uh, and sometimes top it up during the day if i've forgotten to do so and so it, it's one of those areas where just as a, from a personal point of view i'm really waiting to see the developments and as you say wireless charging does does take a, make it a lot easier because you can just put it down on your bedside table or at work and you know, top it up and it really does make a fantastic difference so if i'm sounding a bit like sort of preaching it's because i think a lot of people uh, have the phones and don't actually realize they can use the capabilities certainly uh friends i've come across you go yeah try it out you know you've got a you've got an s6 or you've got something that supports you know one of the nexus devices um and it was interesting microsoft actually gave away uh wireless charging accessories with the 930 in the uk and i know that's all very good uptake but otherwise people are pretty reluctant to buy them because typically you know they can be quite expensive certainly more expensive than a wired charger but uh, if you haven't had a chance to try it and do have a compatible device, I think it's probably the best accessory upgrade you can get. So thoroughly recommended from me. Uh, talking of accessories and on that s charging subject, uh, of course, the 830 and uh, quite a few of the budget models, Lumias, they do have replaceable batteries. Um, but actually trying to find a replaceable battery to, to buy is actually proving quite tricky, Rafe. I don't know whether you've got an opinion on this, but uh, if you go onto the likes of Amazon and eBay, you can usually find a seller somewhere which is selling a, quote, official for example, Lumia 830 battery, and it'll be like 25 to 30 pounds. Now, you could argue that's probably about the right price. That's probably about the RRP that Microsoft or Nokia in the old days would have sold them for. But we're so used to seeing kind of clone stroke third-party batteries at about the 10 to 12 pound range. It's it's kind of strange only having the option of no no replacement battery at all or one at 25 to 30 pounds. Do you think, do you think it's worth getting a spare battery at that price? I have Seth, I, I, I doubt it because by the time it really becomes an issue, you're probably moved on uh, to another device. I think you're better off investing in a good portable USB charger, which you'll be able to use with multiple devices and will probably last beyond the, the length of the phone. I, I think this actually reflects the fact that although I'm complaining about battery life, things have improved in the sense that you know most smartphones, despite the fact they're doing an ever-increasing amount of things, now will last comfortably through a day 
I mean, the early days of smartphones, if you really hammered your phone, you know, you're doing lots of music or video or something like that, lots of data on the internet, you know, it was difficult for it to last a day. And it, it, it's kind of, a, there's been this artificial thing that where we've talked for a long, long time about smartphones lasting about a day, but now they're definitely getting towards the day and a half or you know, if you leave them overnight having used them all day you will have a bit of battery left in the morning it always used to be that they would die overnight but because we haven't yet got to that it will last a second day you don't really notice the improvement um but i think maybe it's you know, you'll have fewer occasions where you have uh, the battery drain away to nothing you get stuck somewhere but it's not quite enough to make a really massive difference in that you don't have to charge it every day um i think of course the other thing you might touch on here is that um compared to the uh, old Symbian days, there are actually fewer of each model being sold at the moment for Windows Phone. It's just a, a a natural facet of selling about 10 million devices or so a quarter. Naturally, the the market size for these aftermarket accessories is smaller, and that together with kind of fewer uh, phones with replaceable batteries. I mean, I just think there's a small market, and so you aren't seeing the third-party solutions come along because if you go and look for them for other devices, you know, the Samsung devices being a good example, you'll find them absolutely no problem They've kind of got the volume to support that market, whereas I suspect the Lumia devices don't. And I suspect also a lot of the Lumia device owners, where they do have the replaceable battery, like some of the, the cheaper devices, probably are less inclined to get a spare spare battery. I think it always used to be kind of high-end behaviour, at least to some extent. So maybe there's half an explanation there. <laughs> Just on the subject of um, uh, portable chargers, of course, you don't have to get these huge, heavy 6,000, 9,000, 12,000 milliamp <laughs> beasts, which I mean, I, I keep one of those in my briefcase and I keep another one in the glove box of the car, but then that's me. Um, but also, possibly more useful, is there's this whole new breed of what I call wallet chargers, literally the size of a credit card, but perhaps uh, a six or seven millimeters thick. They typically hold around about 1,200 milliamp hours. Which doesn't sound very much. That's about 900 milli- milliamp hours at five volts. So that's probably enough to you know give you a 30% extra charge. But often that's all you want. If you basically charge one of these up, and there are lots of different brands, um, keep it in your wallet for an emergency. And I guarantee you, once a week, once a fortnight, you think, "Oh, done. I'm heading home. I've got five percent left. I'm in real trouble. I need to head out as soon as I get home, or I'm on my way to an event. I won't be home until 10 p.m." Break out the wallet charger. You don't have to have remembered one of these beasts in your pocket or in your briefcase. You've literally got it in your wallet ready to go. And I and I, I, I did do a, a roundup of uh, three of them about uh, a month ago on the site. So do go and look that up. But I'm sure there are others out there. And I keep snapping them up on eBay and Amazon whenever I see them and just basically doing a comparison because I think they're an invaluable accessory. Absolutely agree with that. I've got one in my wallet. use it quite regularly. But I think, Steve, just as he used to have a problem at buying about buying spare batteries left, right, and centre for phones he wouldn't <laughs> use. He's, he's now transferred that over to buying wallet size uh, USB uh, USB portable batteries. But um, actually, I think that's a, a healthier habit in some ways too, because they probably cost less than the full size batteries do. Now, moving on, I did talk in last week's podcast, right? We had a bit of a discussion about Facebook and Microsoft. Basically, Facebook has been changing its APIs over the last year or so. And so Microsoft has been changing the way that Windows Phone hooks into Facebook. And, of course, with Windows Phone 8.1 and above, uh, it uses basically... The, the, the Facebook app. And in last week's podcast, I glibly said, well, that will solve all your problems and you'll, you'll have everything where you need it. And I was kind of a bit doubtful. Is what I'm saying actually true? So I went, in a story on the side, I basically reset a phone and went from scratch. And I then gave you a walkthrough to prove my point. Basically, um, when you do add an account in Windows Phone 8.1 and above, you don't see Facebook there at all. 
And that's what's kind of confusing people. But if you install the Facebook app, i.e. a third-party app, if it's not already in your firmware, from the Windows Phone Store, it then magically appears there. And moreover than that, once it's magically appeared there and you've signed into Facebook um, in the actual application itself, because it kind of deep links through to the main application, that then, as you use the phrase, lights up earlier in the podcast, it's a bit like that. It basically lights up hooks in contacts or people, and it also lights up hooks in the lock screen, um, so basically, once you've you installed the Facebook app, you've signed into it, that basically unlocks all sorts of bits and pieces in Windows Phone 8.1 um, and above. And all of a sudden, you have got your contact syncing that you were talking about last week. You've got your thumbnails coming down. Um, you've even got the, uh, the links to the people's latest status updates in the People app. Now, admittedly, it's not showing the status updates in full. You tap through, and then that deep links into the Facebook app. So it's, it's not quite as seamless as it once was. But on the plus side, it's very, very easily updatable just by updating the Facebook application. And it's fully future-proof with the latest Facebook API. So I would encourage people to go and look at my walkthrough, because I do take you through um, the, the contact side of things and the, the calendar side of things and also the photo side of things. And basically, everything works. So I really do think the panic on some sites was uh, rather misplaced here, Rafe? Yeah, it will teach me to expect so much uh, skepticism because last week I said uh, I wasn't sure it was going to work. And actually, I've got the Facebook app installed on my phone, and I assume actually I'm already set up to syncing like that because I had a quick look at your story, noted that I had it all as you described already, and I suspect quite a lot of other people are in that boat. So it, it's basically good news, and actually, it was as you would expect. I suppose the only slight downside here is it depends on what your view is on the quality of the Facebook app. I don't have any problems using it, but I know uh, talking to some friends and colleagues that they find it not quite as good as the version that you get on iOS and Android. Some of that, I think, comes down to the familiarity and the performance and, and, and whether you really see that. It's difficult to say. I know looking in our comments on the news story or the story that you wrote about this, there were some views in, in both directions. But I suppose the, the big thing here is that uh, Microsoft were very clear about what was happening. They outlined it. They perhaps just could have been a little bit clearer about how actually for a lot of 8.1 users, it was fine and to use the, the Facebook app. Um, and as you say, you've done the walkthrough, you've demonstrated exactly how it works. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll draw a line under Facebook then. Uh, in fact, many of us would like to draw a line under Facebook, full stop, but let's not <laughs> go there. Um, one final thing Rafe wanted to chat about before we just perhaps finish off with an app is that I did do a feature on pushing 32 gigabytes, as I called it. Basically, I was fascinated by the fact that even though I had 32 gig on my Lumi 930, my uh, 1020, my 920, basically I'd filled the memory in all three of them. And I thought, this is crazy. I'm sure they seem pretty capacious when we started out. And basically, things are growing. I, I did a kind of bar chart schematic to show a breakdown where all the space was going. And I, and I don't think I'm atypical in most of the things I was talking about. So, for example, things like your, your email um, cache is going to grow, your, your browser cache is going to grow. Obviously, third-party application games, they're growing. You, you discover new apps and games. Also, the ones you do discover tend to be bigger because they're designed for higher-resolution screens. We're now talking about 1080p screens on at least two or three of the devices. Um, your music library will arguably grow. You'll have downloaded caches for things like Spotify. Um, the, the podcasts, hopefully you can keep in rain. Um, the photos is a good example. They grow over time, not because you're taking extra photos, although you do, but because now people are starting to experiment with things like rich capture and living images. And, and all of these things means that when you take a photo, it's not just a, a 500 kilobyte image anymore, not just a one megabyte um, it taken up in your st internal storage. All of a sudden, you're taking up 20 megabytes per photo. 
videos are being captured at 1080p um, and, and higher on the case of the 930, 1520 at 4K. And 4K are talking at something like 300 megabytes per minute of, of footage. So my contention in the article was that so many of these things we've been doing on our Windows phones have been growing, not just with use, but by the evolution of the platform, the evolution of what we're using our phones for. And I reckon 32 gigabyte now is the absolute bare minimum. And I, it even made me think that the, the 830 is perhaps the, which I know you're very fond of, has the perhaps the perfect arrangement with a 16 gig internal, which I know is not enough on its own, but then you whap in a 64 gigabyte microSD and you're absolutely set. The devices with 8 gigabyte and microSD perhaps uh, require a bit more work. And there's actually a second part to my feature, which is hopefully going up on, on Friday as we record this, and that will um, tell people how to use the microSD and what, what they should put on card and what they shouldn't, and hopefully that will clear a few more uh, things up for people but uh, what do you think of my my musings there well I, I think you're you're right basically i mean the first thing to say is this is obviously more targeted towards the power user or someone who's using their phone for a lot of things you know there are some people who will quite comfortably get by on eight gigabytes i feel is pushing it a little bit but you know if you're not installing very many apps and just doing basic stuff even even that should be fine but i mean i would always say 16 gigabyte would be the thing i would look at from a personal point of view if i was then running a phone in kind of minimal mode um and you know you're right to say it's the media in particular that is pushing things up the 4k video and lots of photos and actually it's you know partly about being lazy about taking photos off your phone i mean i know i have sort of seven or eight gigabytes of photos stored on my phone i really should get around to clearing some of them off especially as they're you know backed up to OneDrive. but that's partly because i like being able to flick back through them and see what uh, you know, the photos i've taken over the, the last six months i don't actually store any music on my phone um that which you do a kind of stream down and that works well for me so it's going to vary for everybody but yes if you add everything up I do think you certainly get a lot closer to 32 gigabytes than you did in the past. That said, having talked to some phone manufacturers a couple of years ago, they said that kind of the average amount of space used on phones was about 12 gigabytes. Uh, and this was talking about 32 gigabyte devices. But that has since edged up. And so it's much closer now, I understand, to around 20 to 25 gigabytes, which is starting to get to the yeah, point where yeah. you can see people at the upper end of that spectrum are certainly going to be running out of space. So and we started to see it happen in the market that 64 gigabyte devices are becoming a lot more common. But because of the pressure from operators to have kind of cheaper devices, we're still seeing a lot of 16 and 32 gigabyte variants as well. But I thought I'd also, as Steve mentioned, my 830, throw in a bit of personal uh, data. And this is an anecdote, so you can't really read too much into it. But looking at storage sense on my phone, I'm using 6.75 gigabytes out of 16 gigabytes of my internal space. So I've got 7.81 gigabytes free. But my SD card, I'm using 50.92 gigabytes with just 8 gigabytes <laughs> free. So I've got a 64 megabyte, gigabyte card in there. And actually of that, 23 gigabytes is taken up by apps and games. And this is just because there's now so much more data and sort of assets associated with these. Now, I should say that actually one of the reasons for this is I'm using a couple of podcast apps, which the uh, storage for those does count against that. And actually something similar for some of the streaming music services which tend to cache their content. But I've also got 13 gigabytes of uh, videos. Actually, I've got 12 gigabytes of photos, and then there's sort of 
three or four gigabytes of other stuff. But it just goes to show, you know, without really trying very hard, this is a device that's about six months old or so, maybe a little bit older than that now, eight months. I've actually got quite close to the limits and you know, give it another month or two and I'd actually start to get to the point where I'd get messages about running out of space and we'd actually have to go away and do something about it. Now, there are quite a few apps that I might choose to uninstall and actually the obvious thing would be to take some of the photos and the videos off. But that's the pain point I don't really want to have to come across if I can possibly help it. Um, so you're absolutely right to say that these phones with internal plus memory card are, you know, essential. And I used to be sort of saying, oh, you don't really need a memory card if you've got 32 gigabytes in a phone. But now I would say for the top end devices, having a, a memory card slot is actually a really important feature with the amount of media that people are capturing with their devices. And yeah, some of the need for it has gone away for things like music. You don't have to store that locally so much anymore. But, you know, photo capturing, more than anything else, the size of apps. And when you are downloading stuff for kind of offline usage with podcasts being a great example of that, or even just caching stuff in the kind of music streaming services, it's absolutely important to have that space. And so your kind of thesis, if you will, that we should be looking at phones having, you know, more than 32 gigabytes, I think is is spot on for the top end. And, uh, you know, I think the addendum to that would obviously be... Um, Actually, probably the best thing is maybe not to think about the internal storage, but to have healthy internal storage, so maybe 32 gigabytes, but accompany that always with a micro SD card. And um, I said earlier that my kind of best accessory recommendation with a, a Qi wireless charging accessory, actually as far as 830 is concerned, given that it's uh, uh, it does have Qi wireless charging built in and I have got accessories, I would probably choose to have the 64 gigabyte card and the micro SD card slot over wireless charging i can't believe i'm saying that but actually it makes the phone so much more useful for me because of the amount of data that i can store on it and i don't have to think about managing that space and although storage sense absolutely lets you do that and gives you quite a good insight into where it's going i would obviously rather not have to do that so yes the uh, 830 shines once again and it's one of the reasons it's my favorite windows phone device at the moment Absolutely, because you don't have to choose. You get, yeah, you get the, both of them. But the 830 remains kind of in the sweet spot, spot all round. Almost every feature I write seems to revolve around uh, the 830 being right in the centre <laughs> of the maelstrom. And the kind of, it really is the device you could recommend to a be, to a, a beginner who doesn't have to spend too much, and also recommend to a top end guy who's getting frustrated with storage concerns and lack of wireless charging. And they could point everyone to the 830, and basically most people will be happy. But we, we Indeed, and, and actually the 830 just to sing its praises a few more a few more minutes see <laughs> uh, a lot of people have said to me you know they're interested in trying out a windows phone device and they don't necessarily want to go for the top whack and spending four or five hundred pounds you know they quite often already have an iphone or they'll have a samsung galaxy s or, or some htc or sony device and actually say well take a look at the 830 because you'll get pretty close to the top end without actually compromising some of the things you get in the lower end and they, they'll take a look at the specs and they'll throw their hands up in horror at the snapdragon <laughs> 400 or some other element and say but yes you will notice it if you're doing really intensive stuff but you know if you don't want to spend top dollar actually you get i think maximum bang for your buck and I, i've sort of said the 640 is probably my pick in terms of value and that's absolutely true but if you can afford to spend a bit more the the 830 just has a couple of features which give it the edge you know the better version of the uh, always on screen uh, kind of the better camera just that I, I prefer the design person kind of the metal around the edges and so it's one of those devices that you know I, when i look back in five years time the 830 will be one of my favorite devices just as something like the c7 was before in symbian times you know, going further back to things like the uh, n95 but actually for me it's been interesting if i look back often it's these 
uh, mid-tier devices, which you know, it's not just about the value. They just have that little bit extra or some unique design element or something that just makes it stand out in my mind. And so, yeah, all, all hail the 830, my favorite Windows phone device. Yeah, and since that we reviewed it, it's now come down to £230. It's a very, very common price on the high street, including that Absolutely. in the UK, which I think is an amazing price. I think it was well over 300 when it started, and we thought, this is going to come down, and it will be fabulous value, and I agree that we've now reached that point. Um, applications. You mentioned just applications on car. Just very briefly, Ray, I mean, I'm going to do it again. I'm something I'm planning to do a feature on, but... Uh, with that amount of apps and games on a card, you really don't want to be swapping cards. Now, when microSDs came into into phones and smartphones, they were basically, we thought, one of the advantages, you can take the card out, switch it to a different device, you can basically swap content around. I think we've reached the point, though, where we're so dependent on the card expanding the internal storage, basically upgrading the phone rather than providing a way to get data off the, off the phone, that basically you buy a big card and you stick to it. That card lives in the phone. Then you don't have to worry about what happens to all my apps and games and podcasts and photos if I then have to take the card out. Because you basically never take the card out. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, really, the cards have just been, come a, I guess, a cheaper way of doing variants uh, in terms of memory of these devices. And it, it yeah. kind of surprises me that there hasn't been a bit more of a move to do this in the phone shops in terms of saying you can have an 830. Now, would you like the, um, I guess it would be the 64 gigabyte plus 16 gigabyte version, or would you just like the 16 gigabyte version? And, you know, I, you know, given that these micro SD cards are relatively cheap, I'd always say just go and buy your own. And certainly that's what I did. I kind of ordered the uh, card about the same time I got the 830 and it's lived in there ever since. And I suspect it may come out if I then upgrade to another phone or want to use it for something else. But certainly while I'm actively using it, I don't intend to ever take it out. As I say, you know, in phone shops, it kind of surprised me that there's just not a bit more behind that. Or even when you're pre-ordering the phone, it seems like an obvious upsell opportunity. Uh, but yeah, you're absolutely right. This is it's not uh, in the old days you quite regularly swapped the cards because it was a way of getting more music or more video onto your device and most of the applications still lived in the internal memory and this was back when applications were a few hundred kilobytes in size good old days um, and actually a good example of that was actually the way that nokia approached their gaming device which was the engage and in the original version you actually swapped over kind of the uh, back then they were uh, MMC cards, I believe, and there was kind of like cartridges that you used to get in the consoles or in the, the um, portable Game Boy type devices. Um, and obviously that's now changed. Um, and, and the reason actually I should probably say that they do this is because, of course, everyone actually wants a slightly different amount of memory. And it's not very efficient to give everyone loads of memory because, you know, at the, the cost yeah. of adding it to the device actually isn't that different from buying a micro SD card. In fact, arguably doing a slot and having a customer go away and buy the car themselves is more expensive. But of course, if say only 25% of people actually choose to take that option, then you're kind of imposing a cost on everybody else if you put that memory in by default, if you like. And so it's just a way of being more efficient in this kind of distribution of different memory variants, if you like, and it's a kind of a do-it-yourself method, but it works very well because actually there's relatively little difference in the performance, particularly if you buy the right sort of card, and I guess that's the one recommendation I would have is kind of look at the class of the micro SD card you're buying because there are differences in performance, and although on some of these mobile devices it's going to be hard to see the benefits so day in day out there will be occasions where having that and it's mainly to do with the right speed of the devices particularly when you're capturing video or uh, 
uh, taking lots of photographs one after another, you, you, you will see it. And actually, I think uh, the recommendation from Microsoft is to buy class 10, which is kind of at the upper end of those uh, speeding tiers. And certainly if you buy one of the kind of the extreme branded uh, cars from SanDisk or one of the other manufacturers, you will get that. And so it's probably just a, a good tip to look out for when you're choosing the right micro SD card for your brand new phone. Absolutely. And I can't let you mention that with also, without also mentioning that if you go online and search for SanDisk Class 10, you'll find all sorts of dodgy sellers claiming to sell SanDisk. Absolutely. And when they arrive, they will be clones. Only buy micro SD cards and memory cards generally from absolutely 100% reputable sellers, either from Amazon or one of the memory direct, one of the really big sellers who've got a, a name and a reputation to lose if they sell fakes. Do not buy the cheapest ones on eBay, whatever you do. Thank you very much. <laughs> yes. Good advice. <laughs> um, before we finish, Ray, very, very quickly, I know we're running out of time, but um, a, an app recommendation from each of us. I just wanted to highlight the fact that uh, I've been doing, I did a chess game roundup, which I po- posted earlier this morning. Uh, a, kind of a passion of mine. I noticed there are now quite a few chess games um, on, the, on the phone where you could actually play against the phone's AI. And of course, uh, the processor speed in the, these modern phones is now so high that they can give you a really good game. Um, I'm going to do a second part of the feature, doing a ch- chess online online multiplayer as it were in a couple of weeks time but in the meantime i wanted to highlight that chess genius uh, one of my favorite apps from other mobile platforms is is obviously fully available on windows phone not only that i did a head-to-head where i actually pitched it move for move against one of the other chess programs and yes it came out on top so uh, for the sake of uh, a couple of quid i think chess genius for anyone remotely interested in chess is a fabulous little chess resource and chess companion just for playing you know really challenging your gray matter on a long train journey perhaps yeah, well, it's always good as you're getting into your senior years to stretch your brain, isn't it, Steve? That's probably a little unkind. <laughs> I can't believe Dear. I just said that. Um, I feel <laughs> the need to do that sometimes as well. Exercise grey matter. Uh, and talking of being on long train journeys, there's actually a good new new app out for UK train travellers, and that's the National Rail app that lets you kind of look up train times, but it'll also let you buy the tickets. And this is actually a completely free app. There are actually several versions from various train operating companies that allow you to do this as well. But this is kind of uh, one that's branded under the National Rail scheme. Um, I've actually been using Rail Planner, which is a paid for app, which was really previously the only option available on Windows Phone. And so I've had that app a long time and put it on each and every device I've got. But now if you're looking, if you're a more occasional user, National Rail will be the one for you. And you, as I say, you can look up train times, you can see departures and arrivals at various stations, get other information related to stations. So you can also click through to your website and buy the tickets as well. So you know, it, it's a very useful app to have if you're ever using uh, public transport in the UK. So you know, definitely a recommended download from me. And there we go. And uh, Rafe's homework for the week or for the next uh, two hours is to go and uh, compile some show notes to, to accompany this podcast. Uh, if you check them out at allaboutwindowsphone.com, we're out of time. So I'm going to say goodbye and hand over to Rafe to do the final bit. Thank you, Stephen. I'm going to obviously now have to beg Steve's forgiveness after the end of this podcast, after that crack about getting old. But uh, you know what they say, <laughs> the only reason we've got the uh, benefit of Steve's years of experience and wisdom is to be able to share it with you on the podcast and comes out in some of the comments you make. And those young whippersnappers don't know what smartphones used to be like and can't give you the kind of the, the history background. So uh, I have to say my very esteemed colleague, thank you very much for being my partner on this podcast and thank you to everyone for listening and please of course tune in next week